every year about this time. A few times a year, because darn it, I can't find it. Anyways, if you have a Bible with you, I'll invite you to open up to Luke chapter 10. We're going to continue our series in the parables, kind of studying Jesus as the master storyteller as well. And as you're flipping there, let me ask you a question. If you're online, drop, a, drop your answer in the comments there. But when you hear the word neighbor, what do you think? What comes to mind? Let me shout it out. The first thing, don't think too hard. Somebody who complains too much. That's interesting. Okay. I like that. A helper. Okay. You guys should talk and you know, compare notes on what a neighbor is, maybe. Anybody else? A friend? Good. Someone you could go borrow a cup of sugar from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Someone in the first service said a fence. And immediately it was like, we got to talk about this after. But the more, the more I thought about it, I was like, okay, uh, yeah, there's, you know, a fence divides you from people. Maybe you fence around people that are, so I need to give Sam a call and have a chat with him and say, I was wrong and he was right. And these things happen. Some things that came to mind for me were, I, I'm sure there is a, a coffee shop called the Neighborhood Coffee Shop, right? They're, I'm not sure where I picked that up from, but I'm pretty sure it exists. Uh, Mr. Rogers comes to mind, I think, right? Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And naturally, of course, uh, Wilson from the show Home Improvement, Heidi Ho, good neighbor. You can only see him over the fence about that high, right? Lots of things we think about when it comes to neighbors. Well, this morning, we're going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. And as we've talked about in the past, a parable, you've defined a parable as this. It's a simple or practical story that illustrates for us a deep spiritual truth. It's a simple story that illustrates a deep spiritual truth. Now, I would suspect that many of you, if not all of you, have heard the parable of the Good Samaritan before. I remember watching it like a McGee and Me show of like many years ago, 30-some years ago, where they, you know, McGee was the, was the Samaritan, I think. Anyways, little Christian kids cartoon kind of show. Fantastic. But anyways, this might be maybe the most straightforward parable like a lot of them, you have to, you got to think about it a little bit and, and dig in and maybe some questions. And because we're 2,000 years removed from when Jesus told these stories, sometimes you have to you know, work a little bit more to even get a, a simple understanding of a parable. This one might be the most straightforward to understand, but I think might be the hardest one to live out. Let me read it for us. Luke 10, I'm going to start at verse 25. We then an expert in a law stood up to test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus responded and said, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And the expert answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Now, this is kind of bonus content before the parable. It sets up the parable. It's the reason Jesus told the parable. But it's important for us to see even, even the, the mood or the, the, the sense of what's going on as Jesus tells this story. So we read that an, an expert in the law stands up. This might have also been, in a, your translation, uh, a scribe. This was someone that knew what we call the Old Testament better than anyone else. His entire life was devoted to studying and understanding the Old Testament and the law of Moses as a part of that. 
But we read too, when he stood up, he was, he was skeptical of Jesus. He wasn't coming to learn from Jesus. He stood up explicitly to test Jesus. Now, let me suggest this is always a bad idea. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to not understand everything. But if you want to stand up and go head to head with Jesus, it will not go well for you. And we will see that. But the question he asks in the test is the most important question anyone could ever ask. And Luke emphasizes it in in his writings, in the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts. It's repeated directly four times. More times it's hinted at too. How do I get eternal life? What do I have to do? It's the most important question. And eternal life is is unpacked for us through the Gospels as, as heaven, as our forever life with God, life the way it's supposed to be, the way we were created to be in relationship with God and creation itself and others. It's, it's life to the full, fullest extent possible. John in chapter 10, John 10, 10 says, uh, Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life to the full or abundant life. That's what's being asked of here. But again, look at this guy. He comes to test Jesus, but then look at the question he asks. If you can put the question back up there. What must I do to get eternal life? There's an underlying assumption, even in this question, that he and we have to earn this. What standard do I have to live up to, Jesus? How many good things do I have to do? How, how much good outweighs the bad? And I would suspect, I'll say I fall this way, but I would suspect you can identify with this. Many of us think this way more often than we realize and definitely more than we want to admit. Jesus, I had a pretty good week. I read my Bible four times. I prayed three times. I didn't swear when that guy cut me off in traffic. So how, how am I measuring up to the eternal life standard? Right? We, we find ourselves thinking in a do this and don't do that kind of dichotomy because maybe then I can inherit eternal life. I had a, a conversation with someone this week. It's not unique. You've probably had this as well, where, where um, in the conversation they said, you know what, I, I, I feel like I want to know more of God, but I, I, I'm, I can't. My life is a disaster. I've done all these things. I'll just never get there. And, and the guilt of, of past sin and the guilt of even not feeling like they were where they were supposed to be and how they relate to God. And all these things just keep on. I, I just don't measure up. If I was to ask Jesus in this conversation, what must I do? It doesn't matter because I haven't done. And I think maybe it's unique to me and, and this person I was talking to. I think we all find ourselves there sometimes, right? I, man, I just don't know. Jesus turns the question around. He asks this expert of the law. He says, well, you're the expert. You tell me. What does the law say? He, he points him back at, at what he's devoted his life to studying. How do you read it? And as a, a bit of an aside, it's important for us to note that Jesus is a Bible guy. Jesus doesn't say to him, well, let's go down to the local bookstore or let's pull out our phones and check out Amazon and pick up the latest philosophy textbook. Let's not see who's written the, the top 10 self-help books. Let's not see any of this. He goes right back to the Bible. If we want to find the answers to life's most important questions, we'll find it in the Bible. And for those of us who find the Old Testament hard, Jesus points them to the Old Testament. 
So if Jesus trusts the Bible, we can as well. And the lawyer's good. The lawyer is good at his job. He has studied well. He's maybe ready for the answer. Maybe he's heard Jesus teach about this before, and so he's trying to trick him and trap him. But he knows the law, and he answers. He says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's what the Shema of uh, Deuteronomy 6 says. That's what Leviticus tells us. He sums up the law perfectly. Jesus says, you're right. You got it. You know the answer to your question. Now go do it. And do it perfectly is implied. And do it every day, not just once. This obedience thing, this is a, a continual loving Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You don't just hit it one day, check the box, and you're in. He says, listen, if you perfectly obey all of God's commands, which are summed up here, you will have eternal life. Does anybody see a problem cropping up with this answer? I haven't done it. Trevor, I guess you haven't, because that was the answer you gave, right? We can't do it. It's an impossible target for us. Nobody ever, except for Jesus, has done this. And so we are, we are all guilty, and we cannot have eternal life on our own. And so I suspect, and I think we can reasonably assume this from the text, the lawyer here, the, the, the expert, starts to squirm a little bit. Because he's a smart guy, and he knows that he knows this stuff, but he's not living it out either. And so this little exchange between Jesus and the expert in the law reminds us again that the law of Moses wasn't given to, as a checklist to make us righteous. It was given to us to show us how sinful we are and that we need a Savior. Paul would later tell us, later in the New Testament, would tell us that the law was written not for to make you righteous, but to show you that you need a Savior. That's the point. And so I bet in this interaction again, and again, we know that the, the lawyer started to feel guilty. He started to realize, okay, I got the answer right. My head knowledge is right. My life doesn't live up there, so something's got to change. And so he asked a follow-up question, and the text tells us, so in order to justify himself, Wanting to justify himself, he asked the follow-up question, Jesus, who is my neighbor? He knew he couldn't do what he had to, so he tried to lower the bar. Guess what? We find ourselves here often too, don't we? He says, yeah, but, but Jesus, who's my neighbor? And he had a definition in mind of who his neighbor was. He was just, so Jesus, you backed me up here. Let's, hopefully you back up my definition of neighbor because that would go well for me. Often we too, when we come to the hard parts of the Bible, we ask the follow-up question too. Yeah, but Jesus, this was 2,000 years ago. I'm, I'm in Canmore in 2022. Surely we can kind of define that a little bit different for others. Yeah, but Jesus, everybody's doing this thing now. So it must be good. Yeah, but Jesus, she tempted me to be a part of this. Jesus, he tempted me to be a part of this thing. I, I was just born this way, Jesus. I, this is just who I am, Jesus. Surely you can't mean that for me because this is me. But here's the thing. I suspect even if some way, shape, or form, I could get Jesus to lower that bar to some level where I thought I could do it, somehow I'd still find a way to slink underneath it and still miss the mark. 
one writer said, talking about this lawyer who wanted to justify himself, said, this is what people do when they see that they've broken God's law. They look for a way out. They look for an excuse. They look for a loophole. Some way to say that they're not that bad and God should cut them some slack. But do you think that a holy, sinless God will cut an unholy, sinful person some slack? Paul in Galatians 6 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. When we try to justify ourselves and lower God's bar for ourselves, we are mocking God. Now the lawyer who is trying to justify himself, trying to lower this bar, his idea of neighbor at very most would have been Jews. Probably he would have thought like real Jews, not converts to Judaism. Even more likely, he probably would have thought other experts in the law. Those are my neighbors. This small little group that they all kind of looked the same, they all dressed the same, they all thought the same, they all talked the same, they all devoted their lives to the scriptures. These are my narrow little window of neighbors. And he was hoping that Jesus would say, yeah, you're right. But Jesus takes this category and he radically blows it up. So the question we're coming out of this text is, who is your neighbor, and how are you called to love your neighbor? So let's see what Jesus says. Here's the parallel. Jesus took this question, the question of, and who is my neighbor? And he said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And I think we can assume that everyone that heard him talking pictured this traveler as a Jew. They all would have known this was a dangerous road. They all would have immediately in their minds thought, I know that road. Shouldn't be on that road, probably. But okay, tell us the story. Man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. And they stripped him, and they beat him up, and they fled, leaving him half dead. Now, a priest happened to walk down that road, happened to be going down that road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Now, Again, we're, we're picturing Jewish audience and Jewish man beaten up on the side of the road, and we have a priest. This is someone who should know that the Lord is gracious and merciful, full of compassion. He should be living out the Lord's compassion, and he sees a fellow Jew dying on the side of the road. We would expect him maybe to be the hero of this story. But he passes by on the other side. And there, there could be any number of reasons that we can sort of speculate why he did this. Maybe he knows this is a bad road and he figures, if I even stop and turn my back to the mountains, I'm next. I'm going to be laying dead next to this guy. Maybe he just felt too busy. I know God probably wants me to help this guy, but you know what? I got lots to do today. My week's full. Got to carry on. Maybe he, he looked at this person and thought, you know what, if somebody put themselves in that position, they probably deserved it. He would have also known as a priest that if he touched blood or a potentially dead body, he would have defiled himself and would have had to step out of service for a time, kind of quarantine for a time. And so maybe he thought, well, I could help, but I've got church this week, so I don't want to disappoint the people in church by not being there, so I'm just going to hope someone else does something he chose religion over people. Again, all of these things are sort of speculative, but they could all be, and I hope that every one of us finds ourselves maybe in one of those speculations because Jesus told the story that way for a reason. Man, I've walked by someone hurting and done nothing. 
I've thought these things. He continues, Jesus does. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, saw him, and he passed by on the other side. Here's another well-educated, upper-class Jew who knows what the Bible says. He at least, it seems, comes close and maybe like, hey, uh, you good? And then carries on. But he walked away. Jesus continues. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. Now everyone in the crowd is thinking, no, this, this, this isn't a thing. Maybe the Samaritan's coming to finish him off. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. This is what the priest and the Levite should have had. He went over to him. He bandaged his wounds. He poured on olive oil and wine, the, the medical treatments of the day. Then he, he picked him up, and he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spent. Jesus turns to the lawyer, to the crowd. Now, which of these three proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Who is the neighbor? And the lawyer says, the one who showed mercy to him. Jesus said, now go and do the same. Now again, we need to make sure we understand what the original hearers heard here. Of the three people that passed by the hurt man, the only one that should have maybe had an excuse to walk by was the Samaritan. To say that the Jews and Samaritans were enemies in those days is a vast understatement. They had a, a horrid history that dated 700 years earlier. That when the kingdom split, and the, the, the Jews were exiled to different places, that's when the Samaritans came. They, they were seen as a mixed breed because they, they went to Assyria and they came back half Jewish, half Assyrian. Jews looked at Samaritans as racially impure members of a false religion. The Samaritans had built their own temple. The true Jews went and knocked it down. Like this, this, was, this was not a thing. A Jew would not help a Samaritan. A Samaritan would not help a Jew. But Jesus makes him the hero. The lawyer, we can, again, we can pull this from the text too. The lawyer found Samaritan so despicable, he could not even muster the word Samaritan to answer Jesus' question. Jesus says, who is the neighbor? He said, the one who showed mercy. Not the Samaritan. Right? So here's the point of the parable, right? We want to make sure we hear it as the original hearers heard. We want to find the main point what does it mean to be a neighbor? What does it look like to love your neighbor? Let's look at what the Samaritan did. He, we're told, and we see, had compassion and he sacrificed. That's what it means to be a neighbor. You have compassion and you sacrifice. As we start to read what he did, the first thing, the way, the first thing we read about the Samaritan, he looked on the injured man and he had compassion. Then he went over to him helped him up. He treated and bandaged wounds. This would have cost him. It would have been his own supplies that he was now using on this other person. He probably thought, well, if I get beat up, I might need to treat my own wounds, so I've got my own first aid kit, but okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give up that. Then he took the man and put him on his own donkey. So now instead of having a ride for himself, he's now walking and getting his donkey to come and probably holding this half-dead man on the donkey a little bit too, right? That's 
That's not easy. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. This was not the Samaritan's final destination because he goes on, right? So it has now cost him more time and it's costing him money to put him here. And also imagine if you are a hated Samaritan walking into a potentially Jewish village and you've got a beaten up Jew on your animal, what do you think the town's going to think about you? Right, like that could have cost him there too, but he, he knew what he had to do. He spent the night, probably wasn't planning on spending the night there. He paid the innkeeper out of his own wallet. He didn't like say, okay, so do you have anything back home that you can pay for this later? But no, his own wallet, two days wage, two denarii, two days wage. This was probably enough to cover expenses for maybe four weeks or so. And then he told the innkeeper, if, if it takes more than four weeks, I'll settle up. I'm good for it. So what did he do? He ultimately showed love and compassion and sacrifice. And Jesus tells the lawyer and he tells us, go do the same thing. This is what it means to follow me. We've said to understand parables. We want to listen for what the original hearers heard. We want to look for the main point. We don't want to overcomplicate parables. Parables are simple stories illustrating deep truths. Don't overcomplicate it. And then let the truth challenge us. I don't like this step. Because it means I gotta I gotta do something with this now, right? See, following Jesus, being a part of the Christian life, living the Christian life means loving God and loving our neighbor. Which means showing compassion, which means sacrificing, which means putting ourselves potentially in uncomfortable situations. So here's where it really hits. How's that going for you? How's that going for us? One pastor in the States says this, the lawyer in the parable here, never in his wildest dreams that God would define neighbor, because he knew he had to love his neighbor, never in his wildest dreams thought that God would define neighbor as a hurting man in a rough part of town from a different ethnic group who needed compassion. Every possible boundary he had set up his neighbor, Jesus just blew it all out of the water. Another writer said, it's not uncommon for us to love the idea that you love people. And I think we probably get this, right? My email signature says, love God, love people, right? I get it. But it's not uncommon that we love the idea that we love people rather than actually loving people themselves. Because darn it, people are messy. And like inconvenient and sometimes offensive. It's a lot easier to have a, a head-level love. But do we really sacrifice? Do we? I was talking with a friend earlier this week and saying, well, I'm going to preach this passage. I'm wrestling through this thing. I was like, it's, it's easy for me. He, he works for the Dream Center, like a recovery shelter in Calgary. It's like, it's easy for me to think I love people because I write you a check. But I don't I'll, I'll let you deal with the messy people, right? That's not what Jesus calls us to. We have faces in our minds of, of who we are sacrificing for. I, I wrestled with this. Jesus, of course, elsewhere famously says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's not easy, either, is it? So often I'm like the lawyer, and I, I think to myself, Jesus, okay, how... How tight can I make this neighbor circle? Because I've only got so much of me, and I like, I, 
I like my comforts, I like convenience. Uh, how, how much can we really like narrow this down? But Jesus teaches us that to love your neighbor means thinking way beyond the people that live on the other side of the fence, that live on the same street that you might borrow an egg or a cup of sugar from, way beyond people who look like me, talk like me, think like me, uh, view the world like me. It goes way beyond any boundary that you and I can set up for people, beyond race and nationality and religion and financial or educational status or how pertinent in our town this last week or so. It goes beyond gender. It goes beyond gender expression. It goes beyond all of these things. We're called to love everyone because every single human being has been created in the image of God and that's where their value comes from. The lawyer couldn't wrap his head around this, and some days I can't either. There are days when I look at what someone has done to me, or done to my family, or said about me, or said about my kids, or whatever else, and I think, uh-uh, not today. I'm, I'm going to hang on to this little bit of righteous anger, and you're on your own. But you know what we're, we're doing when we hold back forgiveness or hold back compassion and refuse to sacrifice for others? We are saying, I know Jesus died for you and Jesus forgives your sin, but that's not good enough for me to forgive you. And I know in the heat of the moment, it's really easy to say, no, I, that, that's, that's too big. I can't forgive that. But when we stop to think that Jesus on the cross said what? Father, Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When that's the example, we've got some stuff to work through. i got some stuff to work through. We all get this wrong from time to time. The lawyer could not get his head wrapped around this parable because Jesus blew apart any semblance of uh, the paradigm he had for himself, the, the, uh, the definition of neighbor, and this can't be. But you know what else that lawyer missed? that we can now see looking back at the whole Bible and, and seeing through the cross to now? The lawyer missed that standing right in front of him, answering his, his question, knowing that it was not an authentic question, was the Son of God who had set aside heaven to come into the world to be a neighbor to him and to you and to me. He had no idea in that moment that he was speaking to the one that the, the, the Samaritan could only symbolize. That right in front of him was the true and better, the real good Samaritan. Jesus did everything that the Samaritan in the story did, only more and more when he went to the cross for us. He went in our place, and he was raised from the dead to pay for our sin and give us eternal life. That's the only other way to eternal life. Either you meet all the standards of the law, which nobody has, nobody can, nobody ever will, or you go through Jesus. Jesus is the true and better Good Samaritan. He saw us in our brokenness, beaten and bloodied by sin, and he saw us with compassion. He demonstrated God's love for us in that while we were still sinners, having nothing to offer, he died for us. He reconciles us to God and to one another, Jew to Samaritan, through his blood 
in his body on the cross. He paid the cost for our eternal life with his sacrifice. And he's coming again to receive us into eternal life, into a never-ending kingdom, the kingdom that the lawyer asked about, the way things are supposed to be. Let me wrap up with this, and, and just before I do, I'll, I'll direct you, if you're here, to the little QR codes in front where one of them says respond. I've been trying to mention those a little more and more lately because we don't want to just gather, hear, I trust, hear from the Lord, hear from the Bible, and then get on with our days. We want to do something about it. I know that if I'm out for a walk and I've got a podcast in and I'm listening to a message or a sermon or a teaching or, or whatever, or, or even worship music, China FM maybe, God can speak through all those things. And, and if I get uncomfortable by God speaking, which often I does, right? I, I hope, I said in the first service, so I better say it here. I hope that when you open the Bible, of course, and you're, you're comforted and, and whatever, but I hope you're offended sometimes. I, like, I hope that Jesus rattles you a little bit because that's what we need. I need to shake off the, the ways where I'm looking at the world through the world's eyes. And so when I hear something and I'm uncomfortable, if I'm left to my own devices, I'm going to take those headphones up, I'm going to shove them in my pocket, and I'm going to start watching the birds. And I'm going to enjoy the creek, and I'm going to maybe go pick up a coffee and carry on. But if instead of just taking those up in my pocket, I text my wife and say, hey, you know what? I think God might be challenging me in this area. Even if she doesn't get the text, there's a little bit more accountability there, and I might actually do something about it. And so this respond code, or you can go online at trinitycanmore.com slash respond. It's just a little form that says, I think God's saying this to me today. And even if you don't want me to do anything about that, it comes to me and maybe our elders. Even if you just want to say, I'm, I'm just putting this out there. I don't want to hear back from you, Sean. Don't call me. <laughs> let me. Let me wrestle with this myself. I suspect that little bit of added accountability maybe will at least make it stick in your mind a little bit longer. So I'll kind of highlight that code. And let me wrap us up with this. The Lord Jesus Christ does everything we could not do when it comes to obeying God and paying the penalty for our sin. We were left for dead in our sin, but Christ rescues us, heals us, and pays for our needs by his grace. He freely gives us what we could never earn. He gives to the world the hope of eternal life based on his perfect obedience to God and sacrifice of his life. So those who repent of their sins and trust in him receive as a gift eternal life from God. What the Lord Jesus gives, we cannot earn. Let me pray for us. God, thank you again for this morning, for this time we have together, and for your word. Thank you for this parable, Jesus, that you told that I know rattles us, shakes us up a little bit. I suspect that every one of us has someone that we don't really want to forgive or show compassion, maybe coming to mind. Whew, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work in my heart and our heart to follow you here, to be obedient here, as hard as it may seem, and to trust that we're doing what you've asked of us. Jesus, thank you that you did come and you did everything needed to draw us back into the family, to bring us eternal life, that you lived 
perfectly, that you obeyed the Father perfectly. You showed us how to relate to God and to one another and to creation. And that even though you had done absolutely nothing wrong, you went to the cross to pay the price for my sin and for our sins. And on the third day, you were raised to life again, conquering Satan's sin and death so that we can be called children of God. May we never tire of hearing that story. May we give our lives to you because of it. In Jesus' name we pray.